Hello and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Christy Jansen, Chief of Staff at the World Business Academy. And I'm here in a virtual room, thanks to Zoom, with Ronaldo Brutico, the Academy's president and founder, and Benjamin Schwartz, our producer for this show. The World Business Academy is a 501c3 nonprofit action incubator dedicated to elevating the consciousness of people in the business community and encouraging business leaders to use their power and influence to take greater responsibility for the communities and the environment their work touches. We are recording this show on June 6, 2020. All right, so Ronaldo, what is on the agenda today? It's been a really intense week in a string of intense weeks, and I'm very curious to see what we want to speak about today. Well, just heads up, I'm not going to talk about real estate today. We've been doing a whole series on real estate and I think we have one more piece to go, which I'll pick up next week. And the reason we're not, we're just not going to have time today. Um, first of all, I want to start with basically a visual metaphor. Uh, people might not know it, but the world's largest free flying American flag is 100 feet larger than the Statue of Liberty. And during a thunderstorm this week, it was ripped in half. That may be coincidence. I, I believe in coincidence. But I also think the symbolism of that cannot be overlooked. Our nation for the last nine days has been in a combination of mourning, upset, and feeling like it's been torn apart. Many people believe the administration is intentionally fanning the flames of passion, and that the administration is intentionally trying to spur violence, intentionally trying to make the protesters look like the who 99% of them are peaceful. And the ones who aren't peaceful, I'm not even sure are protesting. I think they're opportunists, either from the white skinhead side of the spectrum who want to make a black people look bad, or from the spectrum that is black itself and wants to steal some stuff because they're hungry. I mean, I'm not sure who the looters are and where they come from, but there clearly are people who are causing disruption and violence that have nothing to do with the peaceful protests. And I'm so proud of the peaceful protesters all across all 50 states. I'm very, very proud because they're doing exactly what the First Amendment says they should do. They should peaceably assemble to provide a redress of their grievances to their government. That's what the First Amendment enshrines as sacred. And for the administration, for Donald Trump to basically tear gas, shot grenade, and uh, fire rubber bullets at peaceful protesters in Lafayette Park so he could clear the park with no warning. They were absolutely 100% peaceful. Plenty of cameras there. There were news people there. It was every first-hand account was that there was absolutely nothing that wasn't peaceful there. And to create that violence on Bill Barr's instruction so that Trump could walk across Lafayette Square for a really ridiculous photo op for which he's being pilloried and hold up a Bible. <laughs> I think he held it up upside down. He held it up upside down. And then it was a – my husband is from a religious background and the evangelicals are – outraged in a lot of cases because he's holding it away from himself instead of right. close into his heart, which if right. you are a, a religious person, if you are a Bible person, the Bible is precious. It's not just some random photo op photo symbol. Op. Yeah. And the, the Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Washington, D.C., Brodier, or Bodier is her name, uh, can complained immediately. This is a terrible use of our facility to make it look like we're photo opping for the president when our church had been harmed the night before with mm -hmm. the fire in the basement, um, the, the way he treated the Bible was completely unacceptable. In fact, even Pat Robertson, of all people, criticized uh, the action of the president with regard, with regard to clearing out the protesters. So I think what's happening is 
we have to we have to look at the scale and the enormity. I haven't seen this kind of protesting, particularly peaceful protesting, since the 60s. The last time this happened was to end the Vietnam War, and it worked. And any domestic administration that is unwilling to shoot its civilians in the street, which this administration is, by the way, but any administration that's unwilling to do that will clearly have to succumb to the pressure that these that these peaceful protests are bringing about. For those who would shed blood, and apparently there are many, look at the, the, the two cops in Buffalo who not intentionally shoved over a 73-year-old man. He cracked his head and was bleeding on the pavement. And when a third officer tried to step down to, to help him, they stopped the officer. Yeah, he and was kept pulled walking. away. He was pulled away. Pulled I saw away. that. Yeah, protect and pre preserve is what police officers are for. Invasion forces are military forces that strike fear in the hearts of their enemy. So those, that, those kinds of, by the way, I'm delighted that they were immediately fired, those police officers, and 57 others in that same group voluntarily resigned. And I go, good riddance, because if you're a thug, we don't need you in the police department. They, what I read is they didn't resign from the entire force. They just resigned from that, from the troop that those uh, two yeah, officers had been in. Basically, what they did is they identified themselves as upset with the fact that the police were held accountable. And anybody who is now identified with that, to quote, paraphrase Mayor Cuomo in New York, doesn't, doesn't deserve or is entitled to a badge any longer. Because if you're not there to protect people, if, if you're there to knock over, intentionally knock over a 73-year-old man, watch him crack his head mm -hmm. on the pavement, watch him bleed profusely, and keep walking. And give no no help, no assistance. Not to, yeah, which is the exact opposite of what police are about. The police chief of Detroit, Michigan, not exactly a guy who's got an easy, easy beat, said he has never seen anything like that in his 40 years of policing because... You always, even if you're in the middle of an action where you're apprehending someone, as soon as you can, you immediately give uh, some assistance to a, an injured civilian. That's what the police are supposed to be about. Then to put cops all over the city of Washington, D.C., to, to federalize the police department there and do it with people who have no badges, no insignia. You can't tell where they're from. This is, this is, there's nothing like this in the history of this nation since the Re Revolutionary War. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then to, to take it even further, to say that the, the Insurrection Act of 1807 was called upon to move the 82nd Airborne Division to sit on the outskirts of Washington, D.C. with bayonets fixed, I think is just pushed too far. And it was, it was a bridge too far. So what you saw happen was General Mathis, former chief of the General Chief, Joint Chiefs of Staff, and uh, the, the former chief military advisor to President Trump basically said, unbelievable, unacceptable, we will not go there, this is a perversion of the use of military, what you are doing is wrong. He was joined by Admiral McMullen, also a former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and numerous other staff officers and line officers, all of whom so far who've come public are retired, but they're very high-ranking admirals and generals. Well, upon that happening, Mark Esper, who's the Secretary of Defense, appointed by Trump not too long ago, and he was a lobbyist. I mean, the reason Mark is there is because he's there to sell airplanes for his company. That's mm -hmm. what he did before he got there, and that's what he's doing there now. Well, Mark Esper had to go on in public and say, no, we do not think these conditions warrant triggering the Insurrection Act of 1807. And he was sending a message. The message he was sending is the military is not prepared to enforce an illegal order. And what Trump has learned for the first time is just because he's commander-in-chief does not mean he has the right to give illegal orders. 
only legal ones. What I found interesting from Mattis's statement is that he's reiterating that the, the military is swearing an oath to the Constitution. And if we are a, a country of law and order, no one in this country is above law and order. And, it, and, and that's what we have to remember. Yeah, and that's what's gotten lost. That got, got lost because of, uh, we didn't, the impeachment did not happen. Right. And so Trump took from that that he is above the law. But he is not above and, the law. But he is. Despite he is because what? He is. He's above the law. The Senate of the United States of America has put him above the law. He controls the judiciary at the highest levels and lowest levels. He's packed the courts with, with Congress. 177 appointees. Astounding in three years. And, and, and many of them unable to pass a simple American Bar Association test for competence. Many of them. Because why? Because he's appointing ideologues. He's trying to gut the Ninth Circuit in, in the Western states, and he's trying to control and successfully controlling the appellate courts in Washington, D.C., where all of the government's decisions are reviewed. Now, why am I going into this length? Because I think it's too important to not pay attention to. So Trump has learned that even though the Republican Party will not hold him responsible, and therefore he thought he had unlimited power, including the power to order American troops to fire on American cities and American citizens in American cities, he has now learned that the military will not back an illegal order. He didn't know there was such a thing. He just thought, hey, you're a general like you're Napoleon. You can tell people to do what they do it. And that first pushback, which triggered, as you know, a comment by Senator um, out of Alaska. Uh, Lisa Murkowski. Murkowski, Murkowski yeah. out of Alaska uh, to say, well, you know, I'm glad General Mattis spoke up because we needed to hear that this is going too far. Well, I don't know what she didn't hear already. I don't know what she didn't see already. But the fact that she said that is excellent. The fact that Romney congratulated, absolutely congratulated um, Senator Mathis for his candor and for his uh, sagacity and for his service to the country begins to tell me that the Republicans themselves are now getting a little scared. They're wondering if they tied themselves to a rocket ship or did they book the last 50 seats on the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> going to tell you it's looking more and more like the titanic more all like the, time. the titanic with yeah. that yeah okay now let's keep going i'm not going to talk about climate change today although there's some really interesting things about climate change to talk about including the rhine river in germany is drying up uh the pressure on all five major rivers in asia is extraordinary uh we're going to experience 2020 as the hottest year on record for anybody who thinks well the economy stopped for a few months didn't that cool everything down nowhere near enough we have the hottest sea temperatures recorded in many, many, many years. Hot sea temperatures in the mid-Atlantic mean more and more vigorous hurricanes. And the first hurricane already came before the beginning, officially, June 1st of the hurricane season. Fortunately, it only dusted the coastline and pushed back off, but we're up for it. So I'm not going to talk about climate change issues. We will be in future shows because they, they're so important in terms of analyzing the economic impact of what's to come and the sociological impact of what's to come. But I want to focus really on a couple of key economic concepts. So we, 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 we know that um, Secretary Mark uh, Esper is going to get fired by Trump sometime between now and November because he disagreed with the boss. And he'll put somebody in there, like Senator Tom Cotton, who's already said, I don't see anything wrong with having mil American military in, in American cities firing on American people. So uh, at least we know where Cotton's coming from. Was there any doubt? I don't think so. But now it's pretty clear. Uh, Cotton believes, as did the people who thought like him in 1936 when they put Hitler into power, shooting on the German people would be perfectly okay. Uh, so we, we have people now who are in an autocratic mo mode. Uh, Trump wants to be king 
he, so badly because he thinks it's the only way he'll probably ever escape from his crimes. And it's probably true. Because short of being king, he's not going to be able to stick around. And what the Republicans are going to have to deal with is the fact that even if he can rig the election at the top, which he may with the help of the Russians, I don't know that you're going to be able to save all these Republican Senate seats that have to be saved if Mitch McConnell is going to stay in charge of the Senate. So I, I think the politics is beginning to be very, very powerful. What you're going to see in climate change is going to impact on the politics as the pandemic has. And I want to go back to that in a second. Go ahead, Christy. You want to say something? Well, I just feel like we really should dig into some of the indicators, which I know we were going to talk about today. Um, the jobs report was an interesting thing there. I just wanted to uh, suggest that we get that because that is the biggest question in my mind. I'm curious to see what... First of all, I'm, I'm not going to allege the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, is being manipulated for Trump's benefit. But, or and... It is headed up by a, a Republican ideologue from the American Heritage Foundation, which is well known to have a very strong agenda. Um, and the Heritage Foundation would be willing to make lumbers look better or worse for its conservative political candidates. Having said that, and I've been watching the numbers get fiddled with, I've commented on many times in this show, I'm going to take the number as good. I'm going to say, that, okay, two and a half million people got hired last month. Now, what's not in that number is all the people who they're still claiming aren't trying to get unemployment, which is the equivalent of I couldn't get through the unemployment uh, computer. There's a lot of people who still have not been able to file for unemployment insurance who've tried in many states across the country, particularly Florida, by the way. So there's all those people who are not intentionally not on the unemployment lines. They're trying to get on the unemployment lines. They can't get in. But there are a lot of people who went back to work in the last three weeks, in states that open too fast particularly, there's barbers, there's cosmeticians, there's, there's dentists, there's dental hygienists, there's restaurant workers, um, there's a number of businesses that are now uh, open that were not deemed, quote, essential, close quote, in the initial close down. And so you're going to get this little blip, which is being funded by over $600 billion worth of PPP stimulus, $650 billion which is coming through the pipeline now. So that's an enormous amount of stimulus. Remember, remember, when you have a huge chunk of stimulus blow through the economy like that, you're going to get a lift. Right. But the lift is only $2.5 million, and that $2.5 million is not going to be going in the right direction within the next six weeks. So we know... And there's still more than 20 million people who've lost their jobs over the yeah, last yeah, couple months. Even, even if you think it's a victory that we're only at 13.3% unemployment. I wouldn't consider that a big victory. I would consider that a major, no. major problem. And I would say that 20 million people out of work is a major problem. Major problem. And I think that that number doesn't reflect the, the true numbers. I, there was a caveat in the BLS reporting even that they, they are actually thinking there's another 3% in there that's hidden in the temporarily or the furloughed workers. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And that's so, just an accounting so what error. What we're talking about, the real unemployment rate, I'm going to guess, the real unemployment rate, fairly counted, probably around 15% at least. Um, it, it's good it's not higher. My guess is it's going to go higher when the PPP runs out. We know for sure it's going to go higher at the end of September when the airlines run out of their deal with the governments, required them to keep all their employees. Um, I know that American made a statement the other day that they're going to try and uh, run 50% of their flights starting mm -hmm. I think, next month. July. Starting July. But that's still 50% that they won't be running. Yeah. And they're not going to keep paying those people when the government's not paying them to pay those people. So we're talking about an economy which has been badly, badly damaged. And I don't see steps being taken to remedy it. What I see are steps being taken that are going to further hurt it. What do I mean? Well, when the administration encourages premature opening, 
it adds more deaths. So let's look at, let's look at the death count. So when people hear this show today, they're going to know that there's 110,000 dead Americans. And maybe that doesn't sound so bad to you because you say, well, gee, uh, there were 100,000 people that died from um, the flu uh, in, in 2008. Uh, and the problem with that is they died in that flu over a very long period of time, by the way, over the full course of a year. These 110,000 died within 90 days. And just to put it in context, we are dying at the rate currently over 1,000 a day which if this continues unabated is 365,000 more dead people in a year. Now, what will bring this to an end? The theory was that like Sweden, it would burn itself out after it gone through the, but it doesn't work for Sweden. No. Sweden continues to have the worst rate in, in, in Northern Europe, one of the worst rates in the world, and it continues to suffer. In other words, it didn't burn out in Sweden. There was this whole theory that, well, two weeks of it just going wild and it'll burn through there and then everybody will have herd immunity. Didn't happen. And by the way, Sweden, there's so much uh, backlash now at the Swedish government. A lot of the people in Sweden are saying, why didn't we follow the rest of the world and take this seriously? Yeah. And the answer is because somebody had this wild idea, which was crazy to begin with. They tried it and it failed. And and, and you would expect it to fail if you looked at the data from other countries anyway. So now how does it apply to the United States? Well, the 1,000 deaths a day is going to go up. Is it going to go up to 1,500 a day? I don't know. Is it going to go up to 2,000 a day? I don't know. But I can tell you this, it's not going to stop at 110,000. So now the question is, what does that do to the economy? And what does it do when people go back to paying attention to COVID? Are they going to feel as comfortable walking on the streets? Are they going to feel as comfortable? I believe one of the silver linings that's coming out of this lockdown as people come out on the streets in several states, they're coming out smarter. Like I was on the, on, on the downtown street in Santa Barbara yesterday, and I was delighted to see uh, they've closed off State Street so that people in restaurants can open up and put their tables on the street more than six feet apart from each other. And they've even put plants between them, which is kind of cool. So you're outside dining, kind of like Paris, mm-hmm. and now the... People who was the waiter gets rehired. The person who was a cook gets rehired. The busboy gets rehired. And people slowly acclimate to, okay, we can do this. But if they start walking around without a mask, which is now illegal in Santa Barbara County, they'll find out they can't do it. So you're allowed to take your mask off while you're eating. you got to put it back on when you leave State Street. And um, Santa Barbara has done a very good thing, the county, because we know that 80%, 80% of the transmission can be stopped if everybody wore a face mask. Well, the problem is, People weren't wearing, a lot of people were not wearing face masks at the demonstrations. But the bigger problem is people intentionally don't wear face masks in Texas, in Mississippi, great parts of Georgia, Alabama, I would say South Carolina. Um, So those people are going to end up sick. Now, here are the numbers that everybody can count on who's listening to this broadcast. These are real. Of, Of all the people who contract COVID virus, and that will be a huge percentage of the population, 85% 85% will have little problem with it. Either they'll go asymptomatic, meaning they won't even show symptoms, or they will have, they'll be able to deal with it pretty much at home. It's painful. It's tough. But they'll, they'll make it. The next, say, 15% will end up in a hospital. Of that 15% that ends up in a hospital, depending on what hospital where it's located, 5 to 7% of those people will die. That's much less in New York these days, but only about 3%. But 5 to 7%. So that means 5 to 7% of everybody who gets COVID will die. 
an ugly death, by the way, after weeks usually on an intubator. So what was that doing to the economy? Well, it does several things. First of all, it continues to put an enormous burden on our municipal services and our states. The fact that the Republicans are trying to refuse to fund the states is not going to fly. They are going to be forced. Why? Because the economy is going to continue to wind down. And I'm going to touch on that next. But what I want people to really focus on is the pandemic's not over. So protect yourself, first your health, then your wealth. Protect yourself, wear a mask in public, get everybody else you know to do the same. Uh, begin to think comprehensively about what your community can do to reduce COVID in your, in, in your town, literally, as opposed to what you can do to worry about the COVID that's no longer a threat in New York. So those are some of the things that we have to do politically. Now, as to the economics of that, it is clear, and I get this question all the time, that the, the stock market bears zero relationship to the real economy. We've talked about this before. So in a, in a, in a day when there's protests all over the country, where cops are getting fired for beating up 73-year-old men, where three more cops got indicted in Minneapolis for killing George Floyd. When all this is going on, and we're still basically in a lockdown with at best a 15% unemployment rate, with all that happening, the stock market went 850 points. And I keep using that as an example. Ladies and gentlemen, the stock market has nothing to do with the real economy. And over time, the real economy wins. People who make money on the stock market are a very, very small group of people who do what's called program trading. We're going to talk a lot more about that in subsequent shows because you cannot get a fair shake in the market. I'll tell you how to get a fair shake without doing program trading when the market's in a position that you can afford to buy it. You can't afford to buy it right now because it's being rigged. And therefore, there's an enormous downside risk now, huge downside risk. If I had to put a number to it, I would say that the Dow... Uh, I think has every possibility of dropping below 20,000, and it might get worse, and in the fairly near future. Now, since you can't invest in the stock market, and clearly we've talked before about why you can't invest in bonds, it's too dangerous. Now we go back to our favorite, gold. So gold, as you know, is still up 26.5% as of today, over a year ago. And here's the best part. When the price of gold came down yesterday as the stock market was rising, some people thought it was related to the dollar. It wasn't. The dollar is, in fact, getting a little weaker, which usually drives gold prices higher. So uh, the Canadian dollar is up from 72 cents to 74 cents for a U.S. dollar. Uh, the European pound is up by about a penny or two against the dollar. So the dollar is already showing some signs of weakness. I'm going to explain why in a second. But as the dollar became, as, as countries learn how to work around the dollar, the value of the dollar drops as the value of the dollar drops. It also will push gold up in addition to all the instability factors that will push up gold's price. But Ronaldo, the gold seems like it's dropped a little bit. Why would that be? Yeah, because, because China's selling right now. And, and by the way, there's a lot of countries selling. So w one of the most amazing things that happened last week was that five ships, fully loaded ships of oil, sailed from Iran to Caracas, Venezuela, and the oil was paid for it in gold. So when you, pay, you, when you sell your gold for oil, you're selling gold. And you can be sure the reason that the Iranians took the gold is so they can sell it to somebody else because they can't sell the oil. Okay? Uh, you know the Chinese have been selling oil for gold. We know the Chinese have been selling gold significantly to shore up their banking system. So when you've got states that are basically selling gold to the point where 
the average number of gold purchases in the last six months was higher than the than what we just experienced last month. It means more selling going on than buying. And the only way you can affect gold's price is when whole countries sell gold. You and I sell gold, it doesn't affect anything. A single country can affect silver. A single country cannot affect gold. Mm -hmm. so, so bottom line, gold is going to continue to go up. And when countries like China sell it, that means eventually they're going to have to rebuy mm -hmm. it. And countries like Venezuela are going to have to keep buying because they got no choice or keep selling with what they have already stashed. So watch gold to continue to be the final refuge of value as the, as the American greenback gets challenged, which it will. Everybody's fighting like crazy. In fact, I want to point out one of the things that a good friend of mine, very sophisticated person, did not notice. At least three, in fact, no, four of the major central banks of Europe have already announced plans to have a blockchain currency. Why? Because they already have currency. Why do they want a blockchain currency? Only one answer. America. With a blockchain currency, you break the control of America over the global markets. That's what's going to happen. That's what's coming next. And you can be sure of it unless we get our act together real fast, which we haven't. And if you notice, we were supposed to be the hosts in July of the G7th. Trump invited Putin to be the 8th. Merkel said, I'm not going to go to that party. And we have two other countries that are already indicating that, you know, maybe we won't even show up. Fernando, I think this, I, the concept of countries starting their own blockchain currency is fascinating. I think China is also working on this as well, trying to roll it out super quickly. And I think it is definitely a sign that the American uh, leadership, the, you know, how we've gone away from being leaders of the world and our reserve currency status is also going to go the way of the Trump leadership um, yeah, into nothingness, yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah, no, I think what well, it's not leadership. It's the lack, lack of exactly what, that's what I meant. Yeah, it's it's what a what's yeah. it's what a it, it, it doesn't do any good to psychologically label Trump because he's been labeled by better men than me with more professional degrees. That the overwhelming conclusion of fifty of the top psychiatrists is, is that he's a a narcissistic sociopath. Right. And for people who don't know how strong that is, that's a deadly. That's a deadly designation. So that's what we're dealing with. Now, One thing there, though, Ronaldo, I don't think we can blame it all on Trump because he was elected by, you know, millions and millions of Americans. And there was structural problems in our country. You know, I, I read it somewhere that, yes, we have a horrible, incompetent captain, but there was mechanical issues in the bottom of the ship that have been in, endemic for, for decades. Yeah, no, that's true. And he wouldn't be there but for what had proceeded. Yeah. And as it was, he wasn't elected by the popular vote, yeah. which is a whole other conversation about electoral college. But I think what I just want to touch on in, in, in passing, because the political issues associated with this economy, right now, the administration is doing so many things wrong, everything they're doing is going to hurt the economy. The bill that got through with a voice vote at the Senate uh, two nights ago, uh, which is, is tinkering in a good way with the PPP program, but is not a, it's not a major new piece of stimulus. Major new stimulus is coming. You can bank on it. Has to come because when money starts running out from the PPP program, which it is, and when and when you have airlines firing, which they will, I don't see how without substantial stimulus to keep it going up, you won't have a worse economic condition two and a half months from today than you have today. You will. And, and as we were talking about earlier in the show, uh, the the pre-show. Public employees are still suffering tremendously, even though some some have been rehired in this last month. The public employees are still losing their jobs 
teachers are going to be losing their jobs and other school staff. Cities and counties are shutting departments. Uh, librarians are getting yeah, fired. I think 550,000 uh, net job losses in yeah. the public sector, yeah. so, which is exactly where we need to hire people because that, we need infrastructure that, yes. and we need teachers and we need firemen and we need policemen. I mean, the whole thing's crazy. So he's doing the exact wrong thing, is my point. And I don't want to go any further than to say, because he doesn't understand economics, and nobody, particularly Peter Navarro, around him does, it's critical that we understand how bad this economy is going to continue to spin. So don't get falsely excited about one small, minor uptick in job rates. Very minor. It's not. It's going to unwind. In two and a half to three months from today, if they don't keep pumping stimulus, it's going to be worse than it is today. If they pump stimulus, which I think they will for craven political reasons, they might be able to skate a little while longer. I think we're out of time. I just want to, you know, a cautionary tale from the 30s. After the stock market crash in 1929, there was a resurgence in the stock market in, the, in 1930 before it went even further down. <laughs> so just yeah. keep that yeah. in mind. No, and I hope people will, will write in and, and get a copy of the article I wrote, my letter to the graduates. It's called Plastics, Benjamin, uh, because I talk in there about what this unemployed graduating class could do to change the future that they've, we've been, they've inherited, which is terrible, into something that they would love. They could create the world they want to live in rather than the world they've inherited. But to do that, we have to be looking at things like the Works Progress Administration, to quote the 30s, the Civil Conservation Court, to quote the 30s, um, infrastructure. Uh, I mean, there's never been a better time with more people available and money's never been cheaper. This is when we should replace the 55% of bridges in this country that are not safe. I could go on and on, but I know we're out of time, so I'll just end with one happy, positive thought. If you want to know what smart reopening looks like, look at New York. They've gone through it. They've absolutely, I think, designed the and their phase one begins on Monday. Watch how New York reopens. Watch what happens to their new cases. Watch what happens to their hospitalizations. Watch what happens to their intubations and watch what happens to their death rate. I'll bet you Cuomo's going to keep it under control. If you do the same analysis with Texas, you're going to go, oh my God. If you do it for Mississippi, you're going to go, oh my God. It's a disaster you know, Georgia. Yeah, it's, it's cata- it is Passing. happening, not waiting. Okay. That's, happening. That's why the, the thousand people that are dying aren't in New York. You know how people died in New York? The epicenter of this thing was New York a month ago. How many people died in New York yesterday? I'll give you the number. You won't believe it. 32. Okay. 32. 32. So the rest, the 9,970, they're not from New York. And a very, I think only, maybe only two of them are from California. Yeah. So where are they coming from? They're coming from the heartland that it's, didn't understand that if you open up wrong, you get more death and destruction. And guess what? That's not good for I the know. economy. It's and happening. That. Yeah. So before we end, I just want to, uh, again, invite our listeners to reach out to us at infoworldbusiness.org if they have questions or comments about today's show or for future shows. We did get some interesting ones that we'll be answering in relation to the the 2008 for seniors and the after effects for that. Ronaldo, we'll talk about that later. Um, but we always love hearing from our listeners. Also, if people would like to support the podcast, however they can, um, if you have the means, make a tax-deductible contribution to the World Business Academy at worldbusiness.org donate. Or you can support the podcast by giving us five-star ratings on iTunes or on whatever platform you're listening to. Um, we okay, so everybody out there who just heard Christy, I don't care which of those three you pick, pick one and support us. Yes. We are tired of doing this alone for ourselves. Come yeah. on, folks. We want to know what Jump you in think, there. and we want you to help us support get us. Support, support us. Support us. Help us get it done. 
it takes a village. In this case, it takes a whole country. And then I want to add one last thing, which is we do a show that's only about positive solutions. It's called Solutions News. Every Friday, it's a live show here in Santa Barbara, Friday at 5 p.m., uh, drive time, 5 to 6 p.m. And I really urge you to listen to it and to take Optimus Daily so that you see the positive side. This show is about the hard realities of economics and politics and society. So we're going to tell the truth. We're not going to sugarcoat it. But we do want you to know we, see, we are optimists here at this show. And we have created two shows that give you that optimistic point of view, plus a, a weekly column in the Minnesota Journal that also gives you a way to hold this information in a more positive, constructive way. So please know those tools are available. And we, in Solutions News and Optimus Daily, we also tell the truth. We just try to interpret it in a way and put uh, the the positive, look at the silver linings or look at the real advances that are being um, rolled out, even in the context of these crisis times. Yeah, we look, we look at, we're, we're always looking for the silver lining. That isn't to say the cloud's not there. Right. This show's about telling you where the cloud is so you can protect <laughs> exactly. yourself. Exactly. Those other, there's other programs are so that you can see, don't forget, there's a patch of blue yeah. behind that cloud. And Solutions News goes as a podcast. So if you want to know about how to get, get a hold of any of those things, just write us at info at worldbusiness.org if you can't already find them. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.